peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, Joseph and Mary were insignificant people, really, uh, by any commonly held standard of measurement anyway. They, they weren't the kind of people, they were small. They weren't the kind of people who were going to make an impact in the world. I don't mean their lives wouldn't have had purpose, they would have. I don't mean that they wouldn't have mattered to those who were close to them. They, they certainly would have. And I don't mean that there wouldn't have been joy and richness to their lives. There almost certainly would have been times of that. What I mean is, there's absolutely no indication that they would have achieved anything even approaching wealth or notoriety or influence of almost any kind. Not going to happen. The thing is, the ancient world was not a meritocracy, not anywhere, especially not in ancient Israel. Now, meritocracy is a fancy word that describes uh, the society, the process by which, uh, you know, you can rise to power or wealth or influence on the basis of your ability or merit, meritocracy. But in the ancient world, uh, you wouldn't rise to positions of wealth or power by merit. You, you wouldn't rise to a position of wealth or power by, by smarts or by hard work or by grit. You were either born at the top or you murdered your way there. There were very few options otherwise and very few exceptions. That's it. And in both cases, if you made it to the top, you lived at the center of power. That was a necessity. There was, there was no remote work in the ancient world. You, you had to be on site. You had to either sit on the throne or sit very near to the seat of power. But Joseph and Mary, they lived in Nazareth when Mary heard that she would become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Nazareth was a small, extremely insignificant, remote village in the, the northern region of Israel, the region known as Galilee. And you should know that the whole region of Galilee itself was, was kind of a backwater Podunkville to Israelites and to everyone else in the Middle East. And Nazareth was the backwater of the backwater. So think about it like this. Uh, Mary and Joseph did not live in Washington, D.C. or in the northern Virginia suburbs. Uh, Mary and Joseph lived in Dillon, South Carolina. Have you seen that sign on 95? It's where you get your fireworks if you're on your way to Myrtle Beach. Actually, they didn't even live in Dillon. They lived in Fork, South Carolina, which is a four-way stop about 10 miles outside of Dillon. There's no exit off of 95 for Fork. You don't even see signs for Fork until you're about three miles from entering it, which means you're about three and a quarter miles from exiting it. That's what Nazareth was. In other words, Nazareth was the very opposite of the center of power. And even though Joseph traced his lineage back to the great King David, that lineage had been so generationally diluted that, that the only thing Joseph stood to inherit was backbreaking work for the rest of his life from dawn to dusk. Nope, Joseph and Mary were not people of significance. Not, now, for sure, on the night Mary was told that she would become pregnant, there were important conversations happening. Aside from Mary, no one really knew about her conversation with the angel. And if they had known, they wouldn't have believed or cared. But there were, that night, important things happening in important places. For example, in, in Jerusalem, no doubt, 
There would have been secret meetings of the zealots. Those were the people who were planning to overthrow Roman occupation in the Holy Land. And these would have been scary meetings, but exhilarating at long last. Let's take it back. God's land ruled over by God's people. These conversations felt significant. If you were there, they pulsed with power. And they would have eventually produced noteworthy rebellions. Now, the rebellions were unsuccessful, but at least they were noteworthy. They felt significant. There were also conversations among the Pharisees. Many of you know who the Pharisees were. They were the exceptionally religious folks. And these meetings would have probably been in the form of Bible studies or prayer meetings. And they would have been discussing how to get individual Israelites and the entire Israelite community to live according to the law. We need to get God's people to live and act like God's people. These, these felt like important meetings. The people involved in these conversations believed for good reason that these were the most important conversations in the world. And then there were meetings of the Jewish ruling council, the, the Sanhedrin. These were the, the Sanhedrin were the people who, they, they were the order keepers. They, they were the ruling liaison between the occupying Romans and the occupied Israelites. And as such, they had a very difficult, very delicate job. How do we keep all these plates spinning? But look, they didn't want to be ruled over by Rome, but that was the reality. And compromises had to be made, so they had no other choice. They had to satisfy slash squelch somehow the zealots, and, and they had to placate slash diminish the influence of the Pharisees somehow. But this is important, I think. All of those conversations paled in comparison to the conversations that were happening in the real center of power, in Rome. Advisors to Caesar Augustus were, that very night, no doubt, almost certainly, warning Caesar about unrest in the East. And they were having conversations about how they were going to deal with the warlords in Germania and how they were going to make peace with the Parthians. Augustus, you see, had come from a very wealthy, very connected family, of course. Remember, the aforementioned have to be born at the top business. Augustus was nephew to Julius Caesar. And when Julius died, he willed his position and his wealth to his nephew named Octavius, who later renamed himself Augustus. And Caesar Augustus is considered by many to be one of the greatest, most effective rulers in the entire ancient world. He, he dramatically expanded Roman rule in every direction. He brought decades of peace and prosperity to the empire. And he even established Rome as a, a representative republic, establishing the representative senate, even though somehow he got himself named forever dictator. Clearly, the decisions that were made in Augustus's chamber reverberated throughout the world. When conversations happened there, everyone knew they were significant. This is the opposite of small and insignificant. This is, this is the top of the top. This is the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Imagine, you know, conversation in the White House and Wall Street and Disney productions all rolled into one. That's Augustus's chamber. And yet, and yet, this other conversation between Mary and the angel. Some of you know uh, Proverbs 21.1. It says this. The king's heart, the king's heart is like a stream of water in the Lord's hand. He turns it wherever he wills. He turns it wherever he wills. 
all the seeming power and influence in Jerusalem, all the seemingly extensive wealth and influence and power in Rome, it's like a stream of water in the Lord's hand. So listen to how all this comes together. About 400 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Malachi had predicted that the Savior, the, the, God's hero for God's people, would be born in Bethlehem. And we have that prediction today in our Old Testament because that prediction became widely recognized by God's people as a real word from God, a real prediction about what was to come. They hung themselves on that. So what happened was God marshaled all of that Roman power and all of that Roman influence, and he used it for the purpose, his purposes, in order to issue an empire-wide decree to move two people 90 miles. God needed to get seemingly insignificant Joseph and Mary from seemingly podunk Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. And he used the organization and the might of Rome to do it. Evidently, the point of all those other seemingly impactful conversations was to service the one seemingly insignificant one that happened on that night in Nazareth. Evidently, the most important meeting on the world in that night, on that night, was the meeting when Mary received word that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It was that meeting. And in fact, that meeting has had more influence on world history by far than all of those other meetings combined. Now, Caesar Augustus didn't know that. He didn't know he was serving God's purposes. Uh, the Roman Senate, they had no idea. The Sanhedrin, Pharisees, uh, the Zealots, they didn't know. Mary didn't even know. But we do. I don't know about you, but I have felt extraordinarily insignificant at times in my life. I have struggled with a sense of purpose. I've, I've lost the narrative. I've wondered if I matter. I've felt really small in a world of almost 7 billion people. I don't know if you felt like me that all the news is about big political and economic social movements that involve outstanding people with global notoriety, lots of power and prestige, or, or beautiful, famous people with legions of followers and fans being adored by them constantly. My life isn't like that. If you felt like me, then don't let that make you disheartened or discouraged, for it is implicit in Scripture that all of the mammoth political forces and all of the giant industrial complexes and all the moverings and the shakerings, without their even knowing it, are being guided by God, for their, not for their own sake, but for the sake of God's little people, little Mary and little Joseph, who have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Pastor John Piper, I love the way he put it. He said this, God wields an empire to fulfill his word and bless his children. Do not think that because you experience adversity in your little world of experience that the hand of the Lord is shortened. But also remember, it is not our prosperity or our fame, but our holiness that he seeks with all his heart. 
And to that end, he rules the whole world. He's always moving the world and turning it for his saving and sanctifying and eternal purposes among his people. He is a big God for people just like us. And this night proves it. And we have great cause to rejoice that, unbeknownst to them, all of the kings and all of the premiers and all of the chancellors and, and all of the chiefs in the world follow the sovereign decrees of our Father in heaven that we, the children, might be conformed to the image of his Son and then enter his eternal glory. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Father, tonight we glory in your story. We glory in what you've done. We glory in you showing yourself to us through Jesus, and we glory in you showing yourself for us, working on our behalf. Tonight, we receive that. We step into that with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.